0: Welcome, listeners, to episode number 19 of the Andrew Food for Thought podcast. On today's episode, I'm joined by my guest, Alvin Jen, who will be featuring two restaurants today. The first restaurant Alvin will be featuring is Arts Cafe, and the second restaurant is King of Noodles, both located here in San Francisco. Similar to the previous episode, Alvin and I will be recording today's podcast over the phone. Uh, Currently, all of the restaurants in SF are closed. And we anticipate this will continue for the next few weeks. But uh, despite the current conditions, Alvin and I are still excited to be able to record today's episode over the phone and to share some of the food we experienced during a recent trip that we both took to Kenya. Alvin and I uh, traveled with about 12 others to a city called Nyeri, where we volunteered at an orphanage called Belwap. And on today's episode, we will be sharing about some of the food we experienced in Kenya, and give a quick overview of the things that stood out to us during that trip. Following that portion of the podcast, Alvin will talk about his newfound interest in baking sourdough bread, and will then share about his next project, which includes making potstickers and green onion pancakes. So I would like to welcome Alvin to the show, and Alvin, if you could share about your two featured restaurants, Arts Cafe, and King of Noodles, and let us know why you decided to feature these restaurants today.
1: Hey, Andrew. Uh, thanks for having me on. So, these two restaurants are um, in my neighborhood. I'm born and raised in San Francisco in the Sunset District. Um, Arts Cafe um, is this lo- local neighborhood diner, uh, greasy diner, greasy spoon, however you want to call it. Um, it's got, for me, for me, I've got... Um, a lot of good memories with it. Um, Sunday mornings with my family growing up, we used to take walks uh, up to Grandview Park. Um, after that, we walked down to 9th and Irving where um, Arts Cafe is located. And the cool thing about Arts Cafe is it's like basically a hole in the wall. And just imagine this long countertop with about no more than 15 stools. Uh, and the kitchen is wide open. You'll see the 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 cook um, grill eggs, bacon, sausage, potatoes, and then you'll have like one server, and she's a she's also the one collecting the money. And pretty much, you only could have two people. And for me, that was like it's a good spot, uh, simple, uh, relatively cheap, and just good memories.
0: The Arts Cafe. What is the menu like? Uh, So, for example, if you go there, what are some of your favorite uh, items to order off of the menu? And what are some things that you would recommend to somebody going for the first time?
1: When I grew up, the the family that owned it was actually an elementary school friend. Um, Their family is Korean. So they'll have American breakfast. And then they'll ask also they're open for lunch and they'll have like Korean uh, dishes like Bulgogi, which is um, sliced marinated beef over rice. So that's one thing I recommend for lunch if you go there. Uh, For breakfast, um, just simple stuff for me. I like sausage, egg, and hash browns. Um, That's a staple for me. And corned beef hash.
0: You mentioned that you have been going to Arts Cafe for quite a few years since you were young and you'd go there with your family. So it sounds like Arts Cafe has been in the neighborhood for quite some time. Would you say that it's changed at all over those years, or does it feel like it's still very much the same?
1: The look of it still the same. Prices, of course, have gone up a little bit, but just a little bit. Honestly, it's still very, very affordable for what how crazy San Francisco is in terms of food. I it's still Korean owned. It's not. I don't think it's the same family, but it, it might be like within like aunt and uncle now. Um, I don't recognize them. Um, but yeah, 30 something years later, it still feels the same.
0: Another restaurant that you're featuring today is King of Noodles. So give us a little background about King of Noodles and what you could expect if if you're walking into the restaurant and, and dining there for the first time.
1: So King of Noodles, um, it's just right around the corner from my, where I live. So it used to be a laundromat the funny thing about it and then you have to walk down this little tiny ramp into the restaurant so like the restaurant itself is below street level a little bit you can still see the street from the tables by the windows um and king of noodle a lot lot of the food is inspired by northern chinese um so beef noodle soup is a staple pot stickers um soup dumplings um green onion pancake that sort of stuff um So it's, it's, for me, it's a nice change of pace because here in San Francisco, we have a lot of immigrants coming from Southern China and Hong Kong and not too many from Northern China. So for me, it's just soul food. I can't, there's no other way to explain it.
0: And how would you describe your neighborhood? So it sounds like these are two restaurants that are places that you really have enjoyed going and are places that are reliable that you can go back to and and know that um, you're gonna get exactly what what you expect and what you've come to enjoy. Are there a lot of restaurants in your neighborhood that you feel that way about, or do these really stand out and are kind of places that are are very much um, favorites of yours that you would frequent often?
1: I think for the most part in the sunset, a lot of the restaurants are family owned, like mom and pop, Um, really, Don't see many chains, and prices are very competitive. And you just get to know, uh, depending on how often you go, you just get to know the people, and they become like close friends, almost family. And in terms of different types of ethnicities and food, you can sunset's cool. I think you can find a lot of different variety. Yeah, and I forgot to mention, uh, for King of Noodles, um, the late Anthony Bourdain actually came here with I forgot what show that he recorded but he said that it was like one of the best tasting um soup dumplings he's ever had and the man has traveled around the world so it's that's a huge compliment
0: exactly yeah for a guy that's been to many countries and has tried you know some of the best food in, in every country that that's uh sounds like a place that's definitely worth going to check out so I'll have to make it over there at some point Um, earlier in the podcast, I was mentioning Alvin that you and I had done this trip to Kenya. Uh, We went with the group there back in February, just a month ago. And while we were there, we had a chance to try some of the local food. So do you want to just share some of the things that we tried there? And if there was anything that stood out to you while we were there?
1: The cool thing about Kenyan food, it's very simple. Uh, The flavors aren't really bold. They kind of let the, like, whatever it is, like kale or lentils, kind of speak for themselves without adding too much spices or anything else. In terms of my favorites, it's definitely got to be chapati. You don't know what it is. I would just describe it as, like, a really flat pancake. Um but it's not fluffy. For me, it's kind of like a green onion pancake, but without the crispiness of it.
0: So I think the, the chapati reminded me of several different things. Like it was a little bit like a tortilla mm. in, in that it's very thin and kind of something that you eat on the side with like your meat or with your main dish. And it also kind of reminded me of of naan that you would find if, if you're in yeah. India. yeah. So yeah and le- and also like you mentioned the green onion, onion pancake so there are some similarities with chapati and, and the foods that you would find in other countries as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, and just think of it now kind of like um like crepe but without the fluffiness. It's a more blander version of it.
0: Mm-hmm. Without all the strawberries. And yeah, fruits and everything else that you would put on yeah. that some people put on crepes. Yeah,
1: just the crepe itself. Um so it's kind of like their staple food that if it was instead of using rice or bread, it's their version of like a, a carb.
0: And another unique experience that we had when we were in Kenya, you and I had an opportunity to grill some burgers and hot dogs <laughs> while we were there. So when we were at the orphanage, we got a really large, um, just a huge amount of, of meat. And we made burgers for all the kids. And so we started these uh, wood fires and then cooked them over the open fire. So do you want to share anything about that experience and, um, you know, what what it was like for us to be making uh, such a large quantity of burgers and hot dogs?
1: Yeah. So like Andrew mentioned, it was a wood fire burning stove and uh, (laughs) the grill itself, it pretty much looked like a, a fence like a fence that you would see anywhere uh, in your neighborhood. And they just slapped it on, on this wood fire grill. And we just threw slabs of burgers that we had to make, put together ourselves. And it was learning trial and error where if we made them too thin, they start falling apart If once we start flipping them. And if they're too thick, they're gonna swell up and look like meatballs. Um, so it was definitely an interesting experience. Uh, a lot of smoke inhalation. So it's just really cool to these kids like try our version of barbecue. And I'm sure a bunch of them got seconds and one kid actually unfortunately got a stomach ache cause it's probably like not used to all the heaviness and grease that was associated with those types of food.
0: And one thing that they shared with us was that they don't typically eat meat all the time. Yeah. A lot of their meals are it could be potatoes, it could be vegetables, Yeah, rice. They eat things um, that are easier to cook in large quantities and more cost-effective.
1: Um, and I think the cool thing about Kenyan food is how every, clean everything tasted, um, especially when we're at the orphanage where they have all the vegetables there. It's farm-to-table. And... I think that was so cool. That was the first time I've ever experienced that.
0: Very, very much farm to the table. They took us around, showed us the crops that they were growing. You we, we would walk around and you would have goats kind of just walking through the yard or cows. And yeah. So it was nice to to see that they're able to have their own food and um, use, the, use the milk from the cows. And it was good. They're able to yeah. live off of the land like that.
1: Yeah. And we even got called out for... uh uh, eating meat, but not slaughtering ourselves. Um, not, not,
0: yeah, not being so close to the, the process of yeah. what are you actually eating, and have yeah. you ever, ever killed an animal like that before? Yeah. So anything else about Kenya and the food that we had there?
1: We had, I wouldn't say warnings, but from people that, from our party that traveled there um, the year past, they were just saying that, you know, some of the food might not our palate you know I was I didn't I wouldn't say I was hesitant I was eager to try different types of food because it's all about traveling is like learning about their culture and how you one thing is through food um I didn't think it was so crazy maybe because I grew up in a Chinese American household where like I've gotten used to eating things that are not standard American diet the only funky thing that I would say was the goat head soup that we had at the hotel. Um, I tried it, there wasn't an actual goat head in the soup, but it definitely had this taste of game meat that was hard to, it was a different, different type of taste on my palate. One of the nights we also had like organ meat, not sure exactly what, and we've had, they had another one with the stomach lining. I mean, I tried everything. Wasn't my favorite, but I mean, I still tried it.
0: And many of the meals that we had, the food wasn't so different from something that you could find here in the U.S. And I think a lot of that, I mean, majority of our meals were eaten at a hotel that for the area was a, a very nice hotel. Mm-hmm. And then we would eat lunch at the orphanage. And so at the hotel, I think, a lot of things were more catered to a, you know, a Western taste if there are people coming from Europe or from the United States and, and at the orphanage, a lot of the food, like we were mentioning earlier, just things that they grow there, all the vegetables, the cabbage, the spinach, they grow potatoes. um, They have large quantities of rice that they make. So yeah, a lot of things were not too different from what we're used to. And, And then the handful of things that you mentioned um were something that you would try or would you know be something that was surprising or something you hadn't seen before so overall overall I really enjoyed the food the making the burgers was so much fun and (laughs) and uh and the chapati was great and you know that you kind of find new new foods while you're there like chapati and ugali and different things like that so it was a lot of fun I think yeah
1: it was definitely an experience that this group bonded over and then this is tires for until the rest of our lives and it's a it's a life memorable trip
0: exactly yeah it's fun fun to look back on the memories and uh to be able to to share those memories with, with a group of people as well so i know earlier you were mentioning that you've started to get into making sourdough bread mm-hmm. and that's been something that's been more of a new interest for you that you've just been dabbling and and kind of doing trial and error So Mm -hmm. do you want to explain a little bit um, how you got into making sourdough bread and what sparked that interest for you?
1: I mean, I've always loved sourdough bread. I mean, it's a it's a San Franciscan thing, I think. I think it originated in San Francisco. Uh, Don't quote me on that. Um, I mean, one of our friends, Carrie, shout out to Carrie. um, I know she bakes a ton. She makes amazing cookies. And... um, She mentioned that she had sourdough starter during our trip. And I was like, that was in the back of my mind. And then now that we're in this shelter in place going on the third week, um, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to try something different. And I've got time on my hands. Why not try making sourdough bread? I found somebody on Nextdoor, um, a local neighbor about two weeks ago. And he had a sourdough starter and started just reading on the process of it. Um, picking Carrie's brain, um, asking her for tips, and then honestly, it's like trial, just learning and doing. And then for me, um, it's I'm not a patient person, and I and I need to follow directions, and that's something that I'm not necessarily great at. So baking is definitely a more precision type of cooking um, rather than feel. Just yesterday, I did my second round. Came out okay, a little bit crispier than the first one. The first one came out a little bit too dense. I didn't score the top of the meat well enough, or I'm sorry, the bread well enough where it a lot of the air got trapped in. So it just became very heavy and dense. It tasted okay. I mean, both of them still taste okay. Texture isn't quite there yet. So uh, round three is starting tomorrow.
0: So you mentioned that with with the first loaf of bread, you maybe you didn't score it enough, so there wasn't enough uh, rise from the bread. Uh, it was a little bit too dense. Yeah. Are there are there any other lessons that you've learned as you've gone? Like things that you've realized that you need to tweak or do a little bit differently.
1: I really need to measure out things for the first time. I like I handled it pretty roughly, and I just remember tons of dough just being super sticky on my hands, and I just kept on having flour in my hands to like get it get it off and I just kept on on working it back into that raw dough and then I think it just the ratio was off. Um, So there was like those two things that I can remember from the first trial. Second one, I took one batch that I made and split into three. So I'm thinking maybe that was, it wasn't enough of it, like whatever chemical reaction or the dough together it needed to be one
0: when, when you talk to your neighbor and you mentioned that you were talking to our friend carrie about the process of making bread what are some of the tips that you got from them or or maybe anybody else that you talked to and things that somebody who's been making sourdough for a while would would uh say to somebody who's starting for the first time
1: i think stick with one recipe or one lesson i kind of bounced around like because i didn't have so, cause one recipe is like, oh, you needed this type of flour. I didn't have it. I only have all, all purpose. Or it was like, you need a Dutch oven. It's like, I don't have that. So that was kind of like taking bits and pieces of like random um, recipes and like seeing what worked. So I would say find one that you have in terms of one that you like, one that you have all the equipment for um, and just go from there. Um, and be, be as precise as you can.
0: And looking at the process of making sourdough kind of on a on a high level, like thinking about how long it would take to make a loaf. Like for me personally, I've never made sourdough before. I really enjoy it, but it's never been something that I've tried to make on my own. Yeah. So I know that you like you're mentioning, you have a starter mm-hmm. and you need that process of of making that starter or or growing that starter takes takes some days. Yeah. So what what like how what is the timeline from starting from nothing and into and like making a loaf of bread? Like how how long does that take?
1: So let's say you don't have any starter. I think just getting the starter to ferment and get that that reaction, that smell, um, takes about five days from raw material, just water and flour, I think. Since I started Since I had a starter, I kind of cheated in a sense. Um, So with the starter, basically you're supposed to take, and if it's a healthy starter, you're supposed to take, for me, I took two tablespoons and then throw it into, I think a cup of flour and about a cup of water. And then you make this, which they call is the laven. And then that sits for about eight hours. Once you have the laven, you start adding more flour and more water to that, and then that's another eight hours. And then the, this eight hours isn't time that you're just sitting there; you're just letting it rest, basically. Um, so, give or take, I say it's about a four-day process from starter to baking. But the cool thing is, you don't always you don't have to keep an eye on it. You they, they recommend that you every half an hour once you get the dough right before you're baking that you kind of flip it uh from the underneath to the top to just work the work the dough a little bit. And that's like every half an hour, but that's not a as far as I have been trying so far, I haven't done it. And maybe that's maybe why it's just they haven't tasted as great or it hasn't the texture isn't quite there. But like if it does I'm, that means I have to um, be a little bit more active with it.
0: Well, it's, it's cool to hear that you're kind of diving into this project, if you will. And, um, you know, with the coronavirus going on and everybody's sheltering in place and, and not going out much, people are picking up new hobbies and, and trying new things. And it's, um, you know, it's just good to hear your perspective on, how it's been um, making sourdough bread for the first time. And I know before we started recording, you mentioned that you're hoping to try other things as well, that you want to try making potstickers and green onion pancakes. Mm -hmm. So as it relates to those two items, like where did that interest come from and, and maybe what is your plan, uh, you know, to start dabbling into making those?
1: So green onion pancake and potstickers are two things that, I've grown up eating. Um, my dad, isn't; he's not the primary cook of the family. My mom is. But when he does cook, uh, he makes, like, huge batches of both of them. Sometimes at the same time, sometimes separately. Um, there isn't a, a schedule that he follows. He just, whenever he feels motivated enough to do it, he'll do it. Um, so for me, it's, like, nostalgia. Um, it's comfort food. Um, and when I traveled to Taiwan a couple years ago, um, it's like a staple food that they have there. You eat it, you can have it for breakfast, lunch, dinner. Um, and I really got to compare like what my dad's cooking, his flavors is compared to how it tastes like in Taiwan. Um, and it's pretty on point. And I was like, really, I wouldn't say surprised, but I am like, I'm really proud of him and I'm hoping that I can take that on as the next thing. Cause I've always wanted to learn how to do it. I just never found motivated to, to, to do it. And I think now is the perfect time now that I'm like in wavelength of like cooking and trying new recipes.
0: So how do you think that process is going to look like for you? Do you think you'll sit down with your dad and kind of go through his recipe and and like observe him or are you gonna go online and look for recipes? What do you what do you think will be the next step?
1: I think for me, I'm gonna first dive into it myself. Uh, I'll look for online recipes and see how they taste. And he's vegetarian, so he will eat the green onion pancake. Um, he won't eat the pot stickers. Um, so he'll he'll. He won't hold back if it doesn't taste quite right. So um, for the green onion pancake definitely, um, I'll probably just start diving in, looking at YouTube videos, uh, looking at all my recipes, see see what see what's out there. Um, with the pot stickers, it's I think I would probably lean on him on that one a little bit because I can easily go out and buy the the dough skin for it but it's kind of like cheating he's always made it from scratch and I was like that's something cool that I kind of want to learn um so I think that one I'm probably gonna watch him do I'll buy all the ingredients um flour is a little hard to come by right now but um yeah that one I think I'm I'm gonna watch and learn
0: and so you've done sourdough bread twice you're about to do your third one after that you're going to try to get into pot stickers and green onion pancake. Is this something that you want to continue, like continue baking and cooking and trying new recipes and things like that? Or is it, is it more just like, these are specific things that you really wanted to, um, you know, master or or try to start cooking and, and that's going to be your focus for now?
1: Yeah. I think those three things, um, are definitely what I just want to focus on. I, We can, there's endless possibilities. Um, I just want to get really good at like these certain things first and who knows, maybe it will spur on something else. Um, Down the line, I would love to make um, beef noodle soup with like noodles that I kind of make on my own.
0: Yeah, definitely. That sounds good. And you mentioned that you had gone to Taiwan and I know they're well known for the beef noodle Mm -hmm. soup. So I'm sure after trying it there, that definitely um, gave you some ideas and, and um, maybe brought about that interest of wanting to make it yourself as yeah. well. Yeah, So, like,
1: learning about cooking is, just, like, you can't rush the process. You're just going to have to be patient with it. And the cool thing is, like, it was almost like a reward at the end of it, like, whether it tastes great or not, it's still, like, this is something that you've created from raw materials and i think that's something very very cool about that
0: that's true yeah it's it's cool to uh just challenge yourself and and you know see what you are capable of doing as a cook just playing around with ingredients playing around with recipes see what you enjoy sometimes you make mistakes but then you learn from it and you figure out how you can do it a little bit differently the next time and i think for me it's been it's been cool to hear you share about some of these um, just you know adventures that you've been on making sourdough bread soon to be making pot stickers. I know during this time where we've been sheltering in place like I haven't done much cooking I've one one thing that I've been doing is I've been going outside and, and running because I n- never find the time to do mm-hmm. that in my regular schedule but now I have but after hearing you talk through doing some of these, different projects and, and cooking, it makes me want to go to the store and get some ingredients so I can try some, some recipes out as well. So yeah, thanks. Thanks for sharing mm-hmm. that. And, um, you know, after looking back on the different things we talked through today, our trip to Kenya through making sourdough, making potstickers, is there anything else maybe that we left out that you wanted to share before we wrap things up?
1: No, I think we covered it all. Just want to wish everyone out there um, safe and, be safe and healthy. Stay healthy. Um, it's a crazy time right now. It's a lot of uncertainty and things are moving very fast. Um, so I'm just sending well wishes and prayers to everybody out there.
0: Agreed. Yeah, it's it's an uncertain time. It seems like things are evolving and changing every day. New things are coming out in the news, and everybody's trying to just adapt to to a new normal. So yeah i just i would echo that like just wish everybody well and um hope that maybe this podcast can provide a little bit of a distraction and um yeah just uh be a way for uh people to connect a little bit so yeah alvin thank you for taking the time to, to come on the podcast today thanks for having me and thank you listeners for tuning in to another episode and we'll see you next time